And in the last two or three years, I've really gone fully into, you know, regular use of mushrooms. And I built up a, a very strong tolerance, I guess, to the out of control psychedelic factor of it. And I've really been able to harness them as a tool. And that's kind of where I'm at with cannabis too, right? Weed doesn't get me all that high, uh, but I, I smoke every day and, and I feel like it's a tool. It, it's changed the way my brain functions. Dirt Show. I'm Higher Peaks. And this is Lady Sativa. Happy 2020. Holy shit, it's 2020. It's a new decade. This is the first new decade for me and you. Yes, it is. Because we met in, well, didn't meet, but we started dating in 2011. 2011, yep. So this is our first decade together, and that has been a trip. I've never been around anybody that long. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a good one. We've, we've been through our ups and downs for sure. Yeah, and it's been a great year. Starting out, though, we had the whole family together. Today, Today was the very first we time had, in You know, when years. you have an extended family and a family that's uh, connected like a puzzle, um, sometimes pieces aren't all together at the same exact time. So, but today <laughs> everything was, uh, the puzzle was together. Yes. Which was really cool. So my, I would assume you too, but my 2020 is going awesome to start out. Yeah, pretty, pretty good. I, I freaking tweaked my back rolling mm -hmm. a joint on... <laughs> Was that New Year's? It can be stressful yeah, at it was 35 rolling joints. It You can tend to hurt your back. It can pull muscles, no, sciatic that nerves. that was caregiving that started it all. It just so happened that I guess I tweaked it wrong when I was rolling the joint. And I went to stand up and I felt like I was broken. Needless to say, it sucked for me for two days. Right. He didn't. It did. It did hurt. It did hurt both of us. <laughs> Anyways. Oh, I was, I'm just joking. I know you are. <laughs> I bet it really hurt. Oh, I know. I, I know you cared. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. So there's a small glimpse into our life. <laughs> Not that anybody cares. All right, let's get into it. Actually, and to, to say about the, two, the 2020, you know, going in good and hard, uh, you know, we got a really good episode. Fuck yeah, we did. Now I'll talk about that in a minute. Okay, but I, I just want everybody to know now I did say I was going to sit down with Benson Arbor and my fault, my fault, uh, I had an appointment come up. This is more an appointment. This, it's this not is just mandatory. An this is a mandatory appointment. Okay. Now, everybody knows that's been on the black market. And I'm not saying I broke any laws here, but everybody knows when you have a mandatory appointment, you what that means. You cannot reschedule this. This Everybody knows what this means. When so. these people call, you go. <laughs> <laughs> so I screwed this one up, but it's still happening. So everybody's, you know, just let everybody know it is my fault, but it's still happening. Thank God for Noah and his crew out there. They're very understanding, which we It all led into today, though, as well, actually, we already said. Well, and we actually- kids together yes yeah so, absolutely and that was the appointment <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly it led into our kids being together there yes 
but thankfully they're understanding and uh, actually just so everybody knows in this episode, the gentleman we were talking to is very supportive of Benson Arbor mm-hmm. and also uh, Echo Electuary. Yep. So shout out to them. To both of them. Yeah, because like we say all the time, Benson Arbor is always bringing that fire outdoor and uh, Echo, I mean. Always fire. If it comes from them, it's going to be good. Oh, they're buckets. Can't wait to have them in too. Yeah. So let's get into it. Illinois, everybody knows this. Uh, the governor, uh, Juliana Stratton, she forked over a hundred dollar bill on the first day of legal sales. Hell yeah. Everybody knows this. I just wanted to cover it real fast because, you know, she had to spend that hundred dollar bill. I was just going to say that you took the words out of my mouth. Those damn taxes, guys. You guys are following the footsteps of Cali. By the way, it's for a bag of Clementine flavored cannabis gummies. So does that mean they taste like oranges? I don't know, but she's <laughs> she's starting light, you know, going in, going in, you know. Holy shit. Little, she spent $100 on gummies, you guys. I'm saying, man. You can walk out of our store for $12 with the bag of fucking gummies. <laughs> That's why I had to bring it up. What? You guys are hating. Here's the deal. I didn't even see that part of it. <laughs> what we're what we're saying what we're seeing here is Illinois and California is definitely doing their part in keeping the black market thriving. <laughs> Good for you guys. <laughs> They'll still have an influx of like pounds coming from Oregon. <laughs> oh man. So uh, I'm going to get into one. I'm going to skip real quick, but let's just go down the list. Uh, let's see. The Food and Drug Administration is reportedly expected to announce a ban on most flavored e-cigarette cartridges this week. I think everybody expects that. I'm not saying they should do or do that or not do it. But there are some flavors out there that aren't so hot for you. It goes back to the terpenes. You know, not every terpene is good for you. So now the Food and Drug Administration is making a ban on it. Uh, they're expected to. Uh, they're banning most flavors, but menthol. And <laughs> menthol's the worst. <laughs> for all you people out there, I can't. I'm going to have to find it. I'll, I'll post it somewhere. But there's a documentary on netflix about certain flavors of e-cigarette flavors and it did these studies on damage to your lungs and funny enough menthol was the worst of the bunch and even that's regular cigarettes too as well because that's not real menthol that you're smoking bottom line is i'm not that that made it just seemed weird to me menthol Ooh, i'd be careful everybody do your research there are things out there that show that menthol at least the minimal studies that we have or look up this one on netflix Mm mm-hmm like I said, I don't, Isn't that explained? I don't know if it was explained or not, but uh, it is. It should still be up there. Yeah. But anyway, do research on that because I'm not so sure that menthol is is safe. I was a uh, menthol smoker. Yeah. Well, I like it. I, you know, I w- we were smoking menthol wraps or blunts mm-hmm. uh, for a little bit there because I like them. But yeah, I, they're really after, cooling. After I saw that documentary, I was like, eh, I don't know. Well, we couldn't find them for a long time, so it's no point anyways. <laughs> yeah. Remember, yeah. we found them a couple times and then couldn't find them anymore. Oregon regulators published a fact sheet about CBD-infused beverages. Uh, Effective January 1st, 2020, no licensee or permittee will manufacture, store, transport, sell, or offer to sell an alcoholic beverage that contains any substance derived from cannabis or cannabinoids derived from any source. Just just to make it clear now, the message here, folks, is OLCC doesn't want to put anything unhealthy in their healthy beverages. You know, all that alcohol you're drinking, you don't want to add anything healthy in there. 
Well, that's the flip side of it. Yeah. But the way they come about it mm-hmm. is they don't want to put CBD in there because it could be it's unhealthy. unhealthy. It could be. We don't know. So, <laughs> so but just just remember, they're trying to they're they're trying they're they're trying to help. They're they're for they're looking out for us. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, not sorry. <laughs> but but they don't want that CBD in that healthy beverage that you know wouldn't take people's lives and friends and families and destroy them all. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Enough said about that. OLCC, you guys are funny. That's all I got to say. Yes. I hope Illinois's version is different. (laughs) Right. A Pennsylvania representative predicted the state will legalize marijuana by 2022. Well, 2022. (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm hoping for 2030. <laughs> and I like Pennsylvania too. What's going on guys there? No one, no one cares. A uh, study found that though some high CBD strains are available in New Jersey medical marijuana program, the vast majority of strains that have been tested are the THC dominant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Hmm, there might be something 1%. there. There's less than 1%. CBDA. Yeah, yeah. I... <laughs> we all know where the medicine is, people. Oh, oh, and a study found that CBD can be effective in reducing seizure frequencies. Well, I know. Now we've had now three weeks in a row. We've had a study that. Where's that fucking up. applause? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> there it is. Uh, I um. I, I commend them for actually acknowledging this stuff three weeks in a row now. Uh, this is a different study, but... Uh, Once again, they have brought it to light. Guys. Yeah, well, and this one relates to a fact that it's a treatment, it's a liquid drop treatment or something that's being approved or something for FDA for uh, actually using it for treatment of... So it's like a tincture? I believe so, yeah. <laughs> Which is cool, you know. We're, we're finally oh, there, guys. Oh, we're finally there. Oh, you mean they made a tincture? <laughs> it only took, you know, thousands and thousands of videos of kids, you know, being treated with CBD, <laughs> CBD, and actually having it work before they, you know, that strange Charlotte's Web. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, here's one for you. Sephora announced new loyalty program packages that include cannabis-infused makeup. I will bring my child to shop at Sephora now. <laughs> What, so you can calm our kid down? Fuck yeah. Put this eyeshadow on, honey. Yeah. Anxiety <laughs> relief eyeshadow. Bruce Campbell tweeted, Illinois governor clears thousands of marijuana convictions and an extra special happy new year to you. Well, we know that he enjoys cannabis. And yes, we, we know do. that you enjoy him. I do. <laughs> he does live in, or at least he has a vacation home. He lives home? in Southern Oregon most of the year. Okay. Yes. And he does make appearances places. Like where? He has been to um, places around here, probably. Probably been to places around mm-hmm. here and, and purchased cannabis. That's just speculation. And I do know that he he shops and grows around here. <laughs> because he, he buys from next door. Oh, okay. Yes. He buys, um, so I need he buys to get rid of this dirt. Too? And, no, he just buys dirt <laughs> and stuff. So he, he must he must grow. Okay. But everybody grows around here. So I was going to say that's if, just Sean told me that. Yeah. So he says, yeah, he shops over here. The DEA published a notice clarifying that unwashed poppy seeds are considered controlled substances. People <laughs> don't keep your poppy Shit. seeds from your muffins. <laughs> I got to wash my seeds. <laughs> I like this one here. New Jersey 
Phil Murphy, the governor, cited the expansion of the state's medical cannabis program as an example of tremendous progress. <laughs> wow, guys, you might be right there with Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> uh, top Iowa police and drug policy officials are warning people that marijuana is still illegal in the state despite neighboring Illinois' legalization law going online. <laughs> so do not yo we know what's going over on this there border because they got you click, they click. will watch your ass <laughs> better have that seatbelt on right hey fair warning though right we all know what they're doing and they are watching those borders like a motherfucker yeah i would be careful because colorado went through something similar with that uh colorado did there was actually I had talked to a couple customers that had came from somewhere that they said that they were doing just that. If you look like you were like, if you did not have a perfectly good looking vehicle, you were getting stopped, especially if you were coming from Oregon. Like you were one of the people that were being watched. So I don't remember where that was exactly, but. Well, we've been lucky in Oregon because we have Washington to the North, which is legal, was legal right up with us almost. And then South California was always medical anyway. Yes. And then of course, Nevada came on right after us. So we're pretty legal us, over we, here. Well, we were just lucky in the sense that we didn't really have to worry about that. I mean, we do, you don't want to be transporting across state lines, but not like these people that got these damn states that are freaking stocked up behind the state line, mm -hmm. you know, with these freaking roadblocks and but shit. But they do say that they're trying to make it so the whole West Coast is like legal. So it's like one, le one legal medical card that you can go anywhere on the West Coast and buy. West Coast is the best coast. Yes. Yeah, so it's they because they really were. That's one of the things that they that was being talked about is being able to do that. So you could be from California. You can use it in Oregon or Washington. I don't know about Nevada, but yeah, well, I, I mean, think it's just the three states. Yeah. Yeah. They should really make it the triangle. Add Nevada in and right. just make it the make triangle. Make it the fucking emerald triangle for sure. A study found, this is the one I want to talk about real quick, which is pretty cool. A study found strong relationships between using psychedelics and appreciation for nature. Quote, the here presented evidence bears relevance for psychedelic treatment models in mental health and in the face of the current ecological crisis, planetary health as well. It says people who claim a stronger bond with nature following a psychedelic experience aren't just blowing smoke. According to some new research, quote, we found a strong relationship between the amount of lifetime use of psychedelics and nature relatedness, as well as increases in nature relatedness from before to after psychedelic use. It says using statistical analysis, the researchers found that nature relatedness was significantly increased with two weeks at four weeks and even two years and beyond after. Wow. So people were like really still into nature and, and even getting more and more into nature, even two plus years after they experienced a big boost of feelings of well-being, I guess. See, I want to try it, but you are too worried. I just think you need to not take as much and take as much. To, That's the thing. Yeah, I you needed need to, to just back not take off. as much yeah. and we need to go enjoy it because I absolutely. really, really want to. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm already at the point that I feel comfortable enough taking them. The nice thing is that it says that, that this could be potential for medicinal use. So these findings, it says, quote, these findings point to the potential of psychedelics to induce enduring positive changes in the way humans relate to their natural environments. It says it is an increasingly well-established principle that the quality of an individual's acute experience under a psychedelic is predictive of subsequent long-term psychological outcomes, such as improvements in mental health. It says this study is the first empirical evidence for a causative role of psychedelics use and enhancement of nature relatedness in a large sample of healthy participants. So I think that's cool. Can you imagine if everybody did some mushrooms and all of a sudden we ain't got no ecological problems. <laughs> Everybody's loving the dirt. Check this out. I, check, I don't even see. I don't even think you saw this. This is the last one. Dave Chappelle and Aziz Ansari 
took magic mushrooms. Oh yeah, to celebrate the comedy awards. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I bet that was fun. <laughs> when comedian Dave Chappelle wins a prestigious award, he opts for psychedelics over champagne. Hell yeah, I would. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in a clip from the Mark Twain Prize for American Humor Gala that was posted online this week, Ansari shared an anecdote about the night before it was announced Chappelle was the awards recipient. While Anzari wanted to get some rest after the two comedians finished their sets at an Austin, Texas show, Chappelle proposed that they take psilocybin mushrooms. Dave said, what kind of night are you trying to have tonight, Aziz? I said, I'm probably going to take it easy. Well, Aziz, no one knows this, but tomorrow they're going to announce that I'm the winner of the Mark Twain Prize for American Humor. And he said, what are you going to tell your kids 20 years from now, Aziz? Are you going to tell them I was there that Dave Chappelle found out he won the Mark Twain Award and we ate mushrooms together and we had the night of our lives? Or you're going to tell them you got some sleep? <laughs> Peer pressure. Yeah. And Zari, who described the back and forth at the awards ceremony, which was taped in October, I said, Dave, you've got a point. Let's eat those mushrooms. <laughs> yes. There you go, folks. Uh, uh, it's great. really cool to see these people really start to talk about the truth. That Fuck yeah, it's that, so awesome. Yeah, uh, that the psychedelics, especially cannabis and psychedelic link there. Mm-hmm. So, all right, here it is. Future 4200. Man, this guy is cool as hell. His name is Dustin Powers. He's the man behind future4200.com. It's a community moderated forum and it focuses on processing cannabis. So it started out like just straight up like before processing was ever really known like in the community, even black market, and they mm -hmm. brought it out and did this forum. And now it's gotten to the point where they got people, PhD people on there and some high level info. So, and it's all free. You can get on there, check it out. But it's, it's amazing. It's cool. He knows his stuff and he's all about the food and cannabis hemp thing. Um, you know, permaculture is big. Mm -hmm. And although there's some controversy surrounding it, um, you know, the, the facts and the studies and the things that he present are, uh, it's good information. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was really happy to have him on, but I encourage you to check it out. And uh, so with that said, enjoy the show and uh, Oregon love. Oregon love. Stay rooted. I'm here with Dustin Powers, the man behind Future 4200, a community moderated cannabis forum with a processing focus. He's carrying on the open source model from Skunk Farms. Welcome to the show, brother. We really appreciate having you here. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Looking forward to it. So Future 4200, now this is a big forum. It's been going on for a while and it's very popular. It's got a, just an amazing amount of really good information. Can you give our listeners a background or story to this, how you got there, where it came from, where it's going? Yeah, so specifically the forum, <clears throat> what happened is I was uh, working as a consultant doing a lot of pesticide remediation consulting down in California, and I was on a job one day, and I was trying to scroll back through Instagram to find some information that I had seen like a couple weeks ago, and I just could not find it. And that was like really the start of the idea that, hey, there should be a forum, something like Icy Mag or any of the cannabis cultivation forums out there for cannabis processing. So I could, you know, use use it as the um, information resource that it is that Instagram is not specifically like Instagram is great for posting pictures and that's about it and, and kind of okay for communication, but you're never going to search and find any old information. And then a week later, I was working a trade show with Cascade Botanical and Sidco, uh, our IT guy on the forum, was working there as well with his mom, Sidco Cat. And he said, hey, 
hey, man, you should open up a forum, just completely disconnected from my thought that I had the week before. And I was like, dude, all right, you're speaking my language. I, I want to. I'm not a tech guy. I don't know anything about that. What do we do? And he's like, don't worry, I got you. So he built the forum, set it up, and was like, all right, we're ready to go. All you need to do is populate it with some information, like throw out some of your tech that you're, you're rocking. So we had already open sourced the uh, pesticide remediation tech, and I had been working on, and I'd already built an SOP for it, so it was, in, it was nicely formatted. But I'd been working on this kind of like mock-up scientific paper. Uh, at the time, I was really nerding out on reading all sorts of different scientific literature around cannabis. So I made my own scientific journal entry for pesticide remediation and kind of broke down the process of how we discovered the proper technique. And looking back on it now, the technique is just, it's really basic. But at the time, you know, as an uneducated person, I just stumbled into cannabis science out of necessity uh, uh, for selling old brown shit. <laughs> it was like revolutionary. So we populated the forum with that bucket tech, spinner tech, a couple of these just really rudimentary stuff that I was doing to make money in the garage. And, uh, it exploded from there and, and it's really found value. You know, why the reason I go there every single day and, and learn is because the people that have started to use the forum are just next level. We got, you know, super high level PhD scientists, chemists, all these, you know, old heads that have been in other industries for a long time and now starting to get into cannabis. And, and the forum has really become the go-to resource for cannabis processing. It really has. I mean, the, the level of information there, like you said, is amazing. I I've actually learned a lot just skimming. I mean, I haven't even dove into it, uh, but I imagine there's uh, just even a lot more that I don't know about. Um, does it cover other things besides cannabis? Yeah, we have a couple of random subcategories. Um, like there's an off topic one and it's just all sorts of fun stuff. People, I don't know, there's like a motorcycle thread in there that people are really happy about or a bicycle one or something. And then there's another one called ground up and it's all about like sustainable agriculture culture or any anything along those lines um and that one was kind of built as an ode to what i do with with my free time which is you know develop permaculture properties which is kind of what i was getting to now that's a big part of your life actually and we see a lot of it on ig um i wanted to talk about that cannabis obviously fits in that picture too as well doesn't it sure yeah yeah cannabis is part of a holistic system you know as part of a holistic human i think you know at least for me my, i function better on 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 cannabis than not so that being the case and it should probably be producing itself in my own little systems sure or i wouldn't want to buy it sure uh, can you explain that system you're talking about? Permaculture is just a design science that revolves around identifying successful natural patterns and reapplying them into your day-to-day -day life. And the really easy way to see that is through agriculture, because we can look at like a natural forest and say, okay, well, nobody's taking care of this natural wild forest, but it's highly abundant. You know, it's at the very least, it's producing a bunch of, you know, forest deer and elk and crazy animals that you can eat. But if we apply just a slight amount of management, like if we look at how the natives were managing these forests that they had, you can just tweak the species slightly so that they are all producing food or the vast majority of them are producing human food. And with just a little bit of planning and foresight, you can build these large scale food forests that produce, you know, massive abundance of food for massive amount of people with hardly 
any work just based on these natural systems. So if we if we identify the patterns on like the macro level of why that happens, um, we can extract those patterns and then reapply them back to like our businesses. Um, and just on a really high level, the core ethics of permaculture is that if you take care of people and you take care of the earth, you're going to acquire an abundance. So if you apply that as your core principle to your businesses, like the good life gang, it, the, the core principles of the good life gang is, you know, take care of people and take care of earth. And then you can see we're reaping in the abundance. And so through the gang, the way we take care of people is I really strongly discourage people from buying a membership unless I think it will immediately save them more money than the membership cost. Like this thing should be, you should immediately be able to use that. And now through some of our networking, um, that we're getting more and more people that aren't cannabis lab professionals that are joining the gang because they see the value of the networking. But you know, that's, that's kind of a a tangent off from, Mm -hmm. from where we started with this. But, um, the easiest way to see how I've applied permaculture to my life is we bought 20 acres out here in Southwest Washington, out in the middle of the woods, originally as a bug out, uh, to, uh, because of, you know, I was deep conspiracy theorist <laughs> losing my mind. Like I got to get somewhere safe where I can grow my own food so that if shit hits the fan. I'll, I'll be okay. Um, and it's, we've really come full circle into realizing that, Hey, we're right off the one one and, and the, the goal of all of this is not to ever have to live a bug out life. Like if I could, if enough people know about permaculture and are growing their own and are, and are producing abundance and are starting to stack real wealth, uh, we might not hit that point. So we're now, we switch completely into using these permaculture development sites as demonstration sites and educational sites and places where we host master classes and start teaching people how to actually stack wealth and what that means and how to identify all the different forms of capital. So, like cannabis permaculture is really is just a tool um and and cannabis fits into permaculture uh especially on the agricultural side so on our farm we grow a couple plants nothing crazy but that's most of what i smoke through the years just a couple jars you know i'm not in a very great climate for growing weed but i get good enough some mids for me to smoke on so (laughs) and that didn't cost me anything with hemp becoming federally legal like it is uh, and it's becoming a nationwide thing. It's exploded here in Oregon. And I know that there's a few sure. other states it's kind of exploded as well. It's really become almost a, like in our area, it's damn near a monoculture. Uh, where oh, it's, 100%. Yeah, and yeah. that's my concern with this explosion of especially hemp is that are we going to really cause more issues? Oh uh, yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna save the world with hemp if we kill the world with hemp first. Right. Yeah. That's exactly. Um, so I'm concerned about that. But fitting into a permaculture situation, uh, that's a lot different. Sure. Yeah. And it just goes into you know zone planning, and then it, it fits into the the layers. So it's a bush. You know, bushes grow in that middle layer. You can have vines around it. You can grow bushes in amongst trees. On you know, and cannabis needs a lot of light, so I'd grow it at the edges wherever I have you know, rows, because like on our property, it's all south facing slope and it's terraces and swales connected to ponds. And on the flats, we grow mostly tubers and low lying crops. And then you run the animals through the flats. But in between the flats and the slope, you have that edge effect because there's this break, you know, ideally your terrace is wide enough so that the height of these trees is only shading part of the terrace and then at the start here. So that's where you put your cannabis right here on this slope and it's catching sun all day long mixed into the system. 
Interesting. It's one way to do it. Yeah. And I've often wondered that, like if I ever had acreage, I thought, you know, with my cannabis, I, it wouldn't be a patch anymore. I think it would be part of the landscaping. If you yeah, intercrop it, why yeah. not? It's a beautiful plant. It's like you're, you don't grow patches of rhododendrons. <laughs> you, you grow it mixed into everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, is there something farmers can do though, that have to grow, you know, acres of cannabis? Can they add back? Um, I, obviously they can't do some sort of permaculture cause you got this big area of one thing, but is there anything they can do on their level to at least kind of give back to the system? Oh yeah. First and foremost, um, I think that there's far better profits. If you grew all your hemp to seed specifically to run pigs through it at the end of the season, just to fatten those pigs on the seed and then do some dry aging with that meat, you're going to have some of the most valuable meat on earth right there. What else are you going to do? Extract all the CBD out and try to sell CBD isolate? <laughs> Good luck. Uh, someone might try. <laughs> okay. But let's say, let's just say that that's what you did. You grew a bunch of hemp and you got all this isolate and, and you can't sell it. Fine. Whatever. What we can do for the land at that point is at the very minimal, um, we can cover crop. I would still suggest running pigs through that whole thing, mass, et cetera, and then right behind and, and fertilize, you know, very importantly. And then right behind those pigs come in and broadcast seed a cover crop, daikon, radish, clover, vetch, any of the, you know, nitrogen fixing crop, um, as well as a deep sod busting or, you know, uh, deep tap rooted sod busting, uh, soil building like a daikon, uh, that right there alone will do, will go massively better than what it is that these guys are doing. A lot of people just harvest the stems and leave it out there or they're harvest and then turn that and then leave it turn all, all winter long, just yep. expose. Like we're going to make a fucking dust bowl here. You idiots, uh, cover crop at the very least cover crop. Um, like our winter wheat would be even better than nothing. So, you know, it's some sort of winter kill so that it's ready or, or spring kill winter crop so that it's ready in the spring to replant into. But uh, also those farmers should be taking at least some of those profits and planting fucking trees, fruit trees, nut trees, any type of tree that's going to provide generational perennial wealth, like absurd. Is there a way to make a permaculture system closed loop completely for an individual, you know, you mean like for an individual or for the people, family, because if we're looking family. at like, yeah, sure, sure, yeah. sure. But not like for the plant, like if we're looking at focusing on cannabis, can we make a cannabis farm that is so regenerative that only cannabis can grow? I'd say, yes, that's a lot easier. When you start talking about people, yeah, salt becomes immediately a difficult one. Like, where does your salt come from? Do I have to eat so much fucking plants that I grew <laughs> off this? Or I do it. I have to like, where am I going to refine salt from? Yeah. So, uh, and then, and then this, and then the question from there is how, like we're humans, we're, we're social beings. So how small is that group? How big do I want my community to be? Um, if there was a hundred of us and in like a, a commune, right. And we had a lot of land and we were all working together towards the same central goal. Then yeah, we probably could. Cause then you could have specialists and they could spend more of their time extracting salt from the random plant that we have that grows salt, you know, like, um, it really becomes a question of, do you want to, because that's, and that's kind of when I went down the bug out path towards our land, I discovered this other podcast called the survival podcast. And he's all about, uh, preparedness for if times get tough. And even if they don't, and that, that last part's the crucial because sure you could store, like I could afford to build a bunker and store 10 years worth of food, but that's not the life that I ever want to live. And you know, I'd rather have permaculture that's producing fresh food all the time. I got livestock out there. I, I I'm eating like a King, not like a fucking 
hobbit in a in a cave. And that permaculture is great right now today when times are great. You know, it'll be it'll be awesome when times are tough, but it's fucking awesome when times are good. And that's the key. So, it, you know, I I really enjoy like through the gang, the networking side of things, the amount of people and the amount of friends that I've built, the amount of like lifetime members that I have in the gang right now that I tell people, we may not be in cannabis for the rest of our lifetime, but this business relationship that we've formed right here, you've given me this much money and we've now formed a lifetime relationship. So no matter what we're doing throughout the rest of your life, my life, we now have this relationship that we can bank on. Um, So for me, I don't want it to be closed loop, I realize now. I want it to be as open with a bunch of people around me that I like. On the permaculture side, you talk a lot about cattle or or meat of sorts. Sure. Even from, I mean, there's different ways to look at this, but even from a health standpoint, why are people so resistant to this particular way? I mean, using cattle in the proper way, I don't see, is it a lot of, you think, propaganda or misinformation? Uh, people that just don't want to harm cattle? What What is it? <laughs> Uh, yeah, you got a little bit of both and we have, there's a lot of ignorance on all sides of this. And I, you know, the conspiracist in me says that that is the design. Uh, if you look at like, uh, agenda 21 or any of the, you know, conspiracy around getting people off of me and, and what doesn't help this whole thing is that there is you know, some of the nastiest food production systems on earth are factory farmed meat systems. Don't that shit's fucking terrible. Don't get me wrong. That's, that's what led me to getting into my own cattle in the first place is because I wanted to continue to eat beef, but I didn't, you can't buy the quality that I can grow right now. You can't, you can get kind of close and you can go find it's, it's better now, right? Like you could buy, you could come over to my place and buy some from me. So now you can actually buy it. When I started, no way. I, I had no idea how to get in and, and couldn't afford it. That's the thing. And even if, you know, if you're going to come buy my meat, it's going to cost you a shit ton of money. I, yeah. Our meat doesn't go for cheap. You can come eat some with me. I'll, I'll cook up steaks all day, but you want to buy it? Yeah, it's going to cost you. Uh, you can't, you know, so growing my own was, was step one to, I'm going to keep eating meat, but I want to be able to get quality meat because what you can buy at the store is questionable at best. Right. Um, why, you know, so we, we do have some terrible science, you know, uh, large scale epidemiological surveys. So they ask you, what did you eat? And you're supposed to remember and write that down. And then they compile all this data. And, they, and then what they did was they correlated a bunch of that data to say, oh, people that eat meat are unhealthy versus vegans or vegetarians that don't eat meat are more healthy. But you have a problem right there because vegans and vegetarians are health conscious. They're thinking about their health. They're do, they're making these choices partially because they think it's a healthier choice, which is great because veganism and vegetarianism is healthier than the standard American diet. But when they say that the person that's eating the standard American diet, that's a meat eater. Well, that's not accurate. I'm a meat eater, but I don't eat the same as a standard American diet. So if you just say people that eat meat are unhealthy, well, what else did they eat? Because because the average American right now is eating 70% of their diet as plants. More than half of those, like 75% of that portion of their diet of uh, plants are highly processed. You know, they're eating cooked plant oil, all this shit that people that never ate a hundred years ago, all of a sudden they're eating. And we see a direct correlation to these crazy sicknesses and diseases that revolt, you know, heart disease and diabetes and all these crazy dietary diseases are on the same exact path as industrial agriculture, large scale wheat and corn production. You know, corn is in fucking everything that people eat. And it's right. on the same exact growth pattern as the diseases. 
odds are that it's those processed plants that are killing people, not cows, which people have been eating for tens of thousands of years, right? Like mm-hmm. heart disease is new, processed plants are new, cows aren't new, but let's blame the cows. That's absurd. Fucking ridiculous. Um I was just going to say a lot of these people are, and I know this is talked about a lot, but a lot of these people are disconnected from the food too. They have no yep. idea really where it's coming yep. from. They don't know. They don't even want to know. I don't think. Of course they don't because you know, the, the other side of say veganism is that they believe that by eating plants from that they bought from the grocery store, that they're saving the lives of animals versus eating cattle. But if you look at the least harm principle, the, if you want to kill the least amount of animals to sustain your diet, you got to eat large scale ruminants that were grown in a holistically managed system. Our cows in our pastures and through some of the work that we've done, there are now exponentially more animals existing in that system between birds and rodents and snakes and things that live in the water and beavers and all this stuff that now exists specifically through management practices with our cattle. And because our cattle are increasing the health of our soil, they're increasing the depth of our topsoil through carbon sequestration, which properly managed cattle sequester carbon in the soil. Um, so you're now you're taking care of the environment. You're, let's just look at corn. Corn has grown thousands of acres wide. So first of all, there's displacement. All the animals that had their natural habitat where that corn was in the grassland or whatever that was before there was corn now can no longer live there because it's all corn. That corn sprayed with poison. That poison either directly kills animals where it's at or washes off into the streams and kills all the fish and amphibians and everything downstream. And then we come through with a combine and indiscriminately combine the whole thing. So the couple deer that did decide it was a good place to hang out now got sucked up by your combine. And that's that one or two percent that's acceptable animal products in your plant food. So, you know, that, that doesn't like, uh, so when I, when I did go to college, I worked at the USDA and on Mondays or Tuesdays, depending on the week, I drove around a little trailer. uh, It was like a propane trailer and I stick the nozzle in the hole and we'd fill up all the rodent holes with propane and then you'd torch it and it just flaming geysers. As far as you can see, this is in an organic orchard. And then like midweek, late week, every other week, the game warden would come and I'd drive him around with a shotgun and he'd shoot birds out of the trees that were eaten because it was organic. So you couldn't like spray them to keep the birds away or anything. Yeah. Vegan. That's, that's a vegan diet. So when you say disconnected from reality, that is that that's the truth. What I, what got me off of the conspiracy thing, or at least like dedicating too much of my time to it is I realized that you can't really fix other people. You can, you can put things out there and they can choose to follow you or they can choose not to. So worrying too much about what other people want to do. I'm out in the woods doing my own thing. I don't really care. If people want to believe that eating plants, processed plants is healthier for them than eating beef, go for it. Good luck. I hope it works out for you. Yeah, there's so much controversy around that, but there's also a lot of good studies and facts. So I don't know why it almost seems like people will impose the way these mass production companies that are producing these cattle and just chopping them, you know, down just one after another. Uh, these people, uh, it seems like they just carry over that hate right into the permaculture side of it. Does that make sense? Sure. That's because the argument is, oh, not everybody could raise their own, you know, or not everybody could buy it directly from the farmer. That's why, because then, so then it goes back into this city, look at LA, how does someone in the middle of LA ethically eat meat? And I don't have the answer to that. My answer to that is don't live in the middle of LA. It's a shithole. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then of course, how do they get out and all this stuff? We, when I bought my property, it was with far too much of like the amount of, of capital that I had at the time, right? Like I was still 
$30,000 in debt on student loan. We had stacked up not enough, enough money to keep buying for the flip and also to invest 10 grand down into this owner finance property. Because I told my partner, I was like, look, dude, if we don't get our own place, I'm going to have to fucking bug out. I'm not going to be able to drive anymore. I'm not going to be able to do any of this. I'm going to have to go I'm going to go camp in the woods for the next six months or something. I'm out. Like this is the world's too much. Like it's fucked. There's no escape. I got to go. And, uh, he's like, all right, man, if we need to buy if you can find something owner financed and, and, you know, we had some conditions and need to have at least running water on the property, whether, whether, you know, a well or existing water and it needed to be sustaining trees and it needed to be, you know, not too far away from the grocery store. There's some other things I should have factored in, but didn't, but those, you know, rain trees, and uh, food nearby. Those are kind of like, because we went out to Eastern Washington and drove for like five hours to this property that was on this dirt road out in the middle of nowhere. The property was gorgeous, but had very few trees and was five hours on a mud road, like out in the middle of fucking, he's like, no, you can't, we can't have this. So I imagine you guys have water rights out there or do you have a, a river that runs by yeah, so, you have a pond or what no, you guys do? So for? yeah, in Washington, the water rights are a little different. So what we have is no fish bearing streams, although if you go far enough down line from our property through the next few properties, all of the springs that occur on our property, we have probably like 35, 40 various spring heads that pop out of the ground. And then as it goes down the hill and they start combining, you know, because topography kind of looks like your hand from the top down, right? There's, there's ridge lines and then there's valleys and ridge lines and valleys. And, it, and it's all kind of exponential down. And you see that when you, when you zoom way out on a satellite, right? Rivers look like this going into oceans, but springs look like this going into streams. So at the top of our property, which is up near the top of the hill and it runs all the way down the hill, um, between there, we've, we've built dams and ponds in to these systems. So we have some standing water, depending on how high it up, how high up you are, and what season it is. Um, so year round, we now have water in multiple different ponds, and then we have I don't know fifty thousand gallons of water storage on the farm. But mostly, the water through the earthworks that we've designed on the property, uh, the irrigation kind of takes care of itself. The, the the terraces and the swales are mainly for water control. In the winter, when we're getting heavy rains, it's to slow down the water and keep it from eroding. And in the summer, when there's less rains, it's to tap the groundwater and infiltrate along uh, as it goes. So we don't irrigate any of our trees, any of our food forests. Most of our gardens don't need irrigation, although we do have a couple annual spots that get a little bit. Um, all the leading edges of our terraces are large. You know, when I say large, I mean like at least 10 feet wide, 10 feet tall, some of them bigger hugel beds. And that's where we took all a good amount of the scrap brush and trees and shit that was in the way when we were putting in these terraces and stuck it back into the earth and put dirt over it. And that's the trees are planted into. So all of these things work together to you know, combine with it being the Pacific Northwest. Uh, water's not a huge issue up here. <laughs> I lived in Seattle for a while. I moved out quick. <laughs> yeah. No offense yeah, to water. Water's an issue with is like too much water. How do you slow it down <laughs> in the rainy seasons? Yeah. When it's raining at the end of June, I, it's too much for me. I'm used to the Southern Oregon, which is, it gets pretty hot down here in the summer, but real hot. <laughs> but uh, honestly, like the last couple of years have been real flip flop. You know, it's been yeah. raining down in Southern Oregon in the fall and it's been dry as shit up here. Yeah. The, the <laughs> rain and the mold really killed all these newcomers this last year kind of sifted out yeah. the, 
yeah, sifted did. them out really quick. <laughs> but, you yeah. know, lots of fields that have big blue tarps with moldy, you know, decomposing hemp. So, <laughs> yeah, the thing is about, you know, with hemp and the CB, the CBD molecules really more stable than you'd think. So I've seen some real moldy shit get ran to isolate. Yeah. No mold detected on the end isolate, no toxin on the isolate at the end, you know, good, cheap isolate <laughs> from moldy material. Right. Now, not, again, I'm, can you sell it? But, fucking, but. I was going to say, I don't know. There's, I guess there's some companies that can. <laughs> I get offers all the time to try CBD and I just, I don't. So do you guys yeah. process, like you said, you grow a few plants on the property for your personal. Do you guys process that yourself too? No, because... At this point in my professional cannabis life, I am not for long. You know, I, I haven't bought anything cannabis in years. I, and I got shelves full of fucking oil. You know, every time I go to I anything, see. I got a hundred people that are like, future, try this. And, and then on the CBD side for future 4200, if you want to advertise any CBD products on there, you got to get verified. And step one in the verification is send me a sample and a COA. And that's just to prove that you're a real person that actually has access to what you claim to be, okay, you know, right, and you can yeah. follow directions. And so I have shelves full of CBD <laughs> stuff. And what happens is when my shelf space finally fills up, I'll consolidate all of it down into like a topical base. And then uh, I give that out to old people that need CBD topicals. I found that's like the best, if not the only real use for CBD isolates is, uh, you know, strong anti-inflammatory topical effects. Yeah, 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 yeah. That seems to be the most used, at least around here. I know my mom uses it. Yeah. Funny, funny enough. You can feel it. Yeah, yeah. And, but, you know, it does help to have some THC in there. I. A hundred percent. Yeah. You know, and when I said you can feel it, you're not, you can feel it if you've got good product. If it's a hundred milligrams in a big jar of topical, you might believe you can feel it, which might work. But, uh, that, you know, that's the biggest problem. And it's, it's such a stupid disconnect right now that these guys are like, why can't we sell all this isolate? So because the fucking retailer is still trying to get a hundred dollars for some bunk ass product. It's like, if you, but and we're seeing the market correct itself. That's why isolate prices are down under a thousand dollars right now and and crashing from there. All all see all hemp products are on a downward spiral in pricing, uh, because and just basic supply and demand, just basic basic economics that we pointed out years and years ago. And all the hemp guys are like, no, it won't work like that. And it's like, okay, good luck. <laughs> yeah, you know better than than the fucking market. We'll see. It's, it's a tough place to be with those guys. Now we had talked before the show and you had mentioned that you, uh, do like to use psychedelics occasionally. Definitely. Um, can you talk about that? Like, do you, do you incorporate them with intention? Do you use them recreationally? Both, uh, are they healing for you? Do, I mean, how do you use them and why? Yeah. So there's, I use, I use specifically mushrooms. I tried acid once. It's super cool. I, if I was like, if acid was legal and, and I, and I could buy like high quality acid all the time, then I would just do acid all the time too, but it's not. And mushrooms are easier. I've had, you know, it's easier for me to identify mushrooms. So I've stuck with those ones. Uh, I, like I said before, the first couple trips with mushrooms were terrible. They're like terrible in the sense that they pulled out the demons out of me and, and forced me to look at my demons and assess them. So it's why I dropped out of college. It's why I got into permaculture. It's why my permaculture farm is what it is. Um, and once I started, once I owned land, was managing land uh, for specifically since then, every mushroom trip I've had has been fantastic. Um, 
they've really become a tool for me. I, uh, I started taking them. Well, first I started taking them when I snowboard and I've been snowboarding my whole entire life. And I realized that when I take them, when I snowboard something about the physical activity and the mushrooms combined, I no longer have this, you know, overwhelming mushroom experience, you know, like the, I got to pee, I got to not pee. I got to lay on the ground. I got to, cr- whatever the, the craziness that mushrooms can be yes. went away. And I, and I found myself just in this deep flow state and I started coming up with just crazy ideas, like a lot of even like the good life gang. I, I wasn't on my snowboard. I was actually on the excavator building a pond. Um, but I was listening to Tim Ferriss's four hour work week and it, I just, my brain makes crazy connections on it. So I started taking them when I started public speaking as well. We started hosting these knowledge sesh events down in California and I had like 30, 45 people come to learn from me. And I realized that I function much, much better on on mushrooms and so i started speaking at conferences on mushrooms and that was going really well so then i made it a point that now at all the good life gang events i just eat a whole shit ton of mushrooms and and (laughs) do my thing and it's really uh i I really like it. it it's an incredible tool for when i'm networking with people or when i'm trying to communicate with people uh the the information just flows out of my head so um they, they really are cool are you talking a macro dosing level or are you talking oh, micro yeah. dosing? Like how do you no. function? Like you, you actually sounds like you're functioning at a higher level at macro dosing. And a lot of times yeah. I, I'm laid out on the couch or something, you know, certainly. And, and I know, and, and if I'm home alone, like, uh, Julia and the baby left a couple months ago and I ate one, I got these little heart chocolates that are really nice. nice. And yeah. I, now how homogenous the batch was. The guy's a really good friend, but you know, <laughs> he swore they were homogenous, but I ate one the other day when I was home alone and it was like, curl, I was curled up on the ground, like uncontrollable tears coming out. just yeah. like happy, but like, uh-huh. uh, that doesn't happen to me when I'm in these social situations. So I, I'll usually start out with, you know, maybe half gram. <laughs> now people know that I, I consume mushrooms. So they make a point to try to bring me their best mushrooms. So like in Vegas, the very first thing I did when I got to the trade show for BizCon was I went over to the busy booth and there was a guy there. He's like, Oh, future, you got to try my DMT pen. So I took a, <laughs> like a couple sharp rips off of that. And then he's like, here, I got, you know, capsules, mushroom capsules. So I ate a couple of those. So I started that day off with like a half gram of mushrooms and a bunch of rips on the DMT pen. And by the time I left the conference, I had eaten like two grams. And then I got to the event and ate at least another two or three grams that night. Um, and never felt the crazy mushroom roll. Just, just felt like exponential joy building around all these people and then more people and more, more friends and more connections. And I see other people building connections and it's just like, dope. (laughs) Do you ever, do you ever microdose at all? Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, like, um, I'll take small little bites off these. So my partner, Julia, I just ground up a bunch of them and she's got kind of like a measured dose. That is her microdose. Mine is much less, uh, accurate. I just take like a little nibble off one of these chocolates I got and go for it. I have another, another friend that makes a mushroom blend. So it's got cabenzies in it, but then it's got like 15 other like reishi, lion's mane, cordyceps, on and on and on. Um, and then a little bit of honey and a little bit of coca powder. And it's in this kind of like paste and I'll take like a little scoop of that in the morning. And that's really nice. Um, the lion's mane combined with the, uh, cabenzies is a strong nootropic drug for sure. I, I can, I can 
tell a noticeable difference in my cognitive function when I have a little bit of those two mushrooms combined. Really? Wow. So and, uh, it, it is, is it something you try to do regularly then? Like, I mean, is it? Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely do. Yeah. And I, you know, Paul Stamis says that you're supposed to, and all the mushroom guys are kind of like working towards their, what they think is the right amount of, of money to doing them and then taking a small break and then doing them, taking a small break. Now, what that means to each person is kind of subjective. You got to figure out your own. And I, I don't even try to keep track of it. I just do them as I feel like, you know, I'll, I'll eat mushrooms seven days in a row and then take a week off and then eat them two or three more days in a row and take a day off and right. whatever, just kind of float around see how it feels. Um, so I don't know if there's a set amount that you're so you should take or not. Right. Right. That's, uh, and that's why I ask people, it's just curious. I've read some books on microdosing, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of different information out there. I was just going to say, it's very, it's like food and diet. It's all independent. You know, you could read all you want, but it's really what, what works for you. And no, nobody's going to be able to tell you what's best for yourself. You, you're the only one that can tell you that. Absolutely. And I'm not the type I've really never microdosed. And usually when I sit down and do mushrooms, it's, you know, seven plus grams. I usually like to. Yeah. That's blast you, them off. Well, that's why I'm usually laid out on the couch. You know, seven plus yeah. grams, you get pretty lethargic and uh, also get a little yeah, stumbling. Sure. You know, you almost feel like you're drunk almost. It, uh, but living in the Pacific Northwest, especially in Washington, I know at least here, uh, but there you must have a lot of wild mushrooms, man. Oh, I mean, they gotta yeah. Be we everywhere. Spend- yeah, and this was the craziest year I've ever seen. Like our chanterelle season started in the middle of the summer, and we were picking them right up to Christmas. I've never seen normally chanterelles is like October and November, and you're done. And like it was the but this year it was we had like a six month chanterelle season. I've never seen anything like it. I, all the old locals are like, oh, this is the best year for chanterelles there's ever been. Um, so it was pretty crazy. And we have the whole mix of everything. I have yet to find any Liberty caps. I'm sure I've seen them. I've, you know, when I'm out in the cow fields, I'm always looking at all the different mushrooms. I just have never been with someone that can identify. And it's such a strange, it looks like so many other ones. There's so many little brown mushrooms that all look the fucking same. So I need someone to really come out and say, for sure, this is it. And once I see one with somebody that knows what they're talking about, then I'd be good at it. Um, That's how we got into harvesting all the local mushrooms is when we moved out here and let's roll it back. I grew up in Tacoma in the suburbs, like no experience with farming, very little experience with being out, you know, in the nature, in the wild, we went camping and whatnot. And I was in the boy Scouts, but not like this, not like living on a, on a farm, living in the woods. So we came out here and all the locals that we made friends with were like, Oh yeah, the mushrooms are really good out here. And we're like, what the fuck does that even mean? How do you, mushrooms are going to kill you. You're going to die if you eat mushrooms. So we joined a, a mushroom club uh, up in Olympia and that just changed everything because we'd go on these trips, these excursions, and we'd go mushroom hunting all over the place. And that's how I really learned. So now I can identify all of the common edibles. I can identify, you know, the Amanitas are easy, but I know which Amanita you can harvest to get the musum from and all the other ones that'll kill you. So Enough that we are harvesting a healthy amount of our food in the fall from mushrooms, for sure. Now, you just briefly mentioned the Amanita. Uh, you get those on your property? Oh, yeah. They're, you know, those grow everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we get a ton down here on the Oregon coast. They're yellows and yeah, they're everywhere. all over. Yeah, I mean, big dinner They get them all through too. Europe. It, dude, uh, in, in this, there's a big range in the north northern hemisphere and southern hemisphere all the way around the world that grows amanitas they're yeah. like a universal mushroom that's why it's so many cultures have stories that lead back to these amanitas right. yeah. and they're strongly strongly like i guess narcotic it would be the term for musimal but kind of not it's like narcotic but also hallucinant 
hallucinogenic. Um, it's got this weird one. And then the problem with the Amanita is it's got the ibotenic acid that you need to decarb and it decarbs into more mucimal. So right. the ibotenic acid is a, the, it's relatively toxic. You're, you're not going to have a good time if you just eat Amanitas. But if you extract those two compounds and reduce it down to the crude oil and then heat it up for a while, you can decarb it just like you decarb the, the acid group off of uh, THCA to become THC, you can do the same thing, the ibotenic acid, decarb into mucimal. And then that, that is a, a decent plant <laughs> psychedelic. I have some of the harvested and refined product. I have not eaten it yet. So you've actually gotten it refined. Yeah. Oh yeah. So when the, when the deer start eating them, that's when I will go out and harvest them. I, I heard lore that deer eating it. That was when most of it had naturally decarbed. So it was better to eat. Um, the next step is to then drink the deer piss, but that's not really my style. So see, I was going to, I was going to say, we just covered this on one of our episodes and, uh, yeah, it seems like that's the way to go. Just have someone, you know, be the, be the fall guy and just drink their piss. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I started thinking about that. And what does that even fucking mean? Like, I got cows that I've seen them piss. I, there's never been a time where the cow pissed in a spot where I thought, oh, I could just go scoop up some cow. You know, it's like, <laughs> pissed on the dirt. What do you mean? Are you going to eat the dirt with the cow piss on it? Like, I don't understand how you're going to be drinking. Uh, they must have had some kind of relationship with these deer, man. Like, the, you know, Jay, the plant whisperer, the guy with all the deer. Yeah. I bet he could drink Amanita deer piss. <laughs> He'd probably just hold a cup under him. They'd be stoked. Here you go, sir. <laughs> I guess you're close with him. Yeah, for I think sure. you got to be really good friends with the deer to drink their piss. So it sounds like it's something that you are going to try, though, this Amanita. The, yeah, yeah. The, there's lots refinery. of... There's lots of drugs that I eventually want to try. <laughs> I've, got, you know, I've got a nice little stockpile of some of them. Um, it's just the time and the place. It, it, Oh, my biggest fear with these drugs is that I take one of them and it drastically changes my outlook on life. And I, I really like where I am right now. I sure. like multiple times I've, I've had invites to go do ayahuasca and I'm like, nah, I don't, first of all, I don't have the time for like a multiple day trip like that. But second of all, I don't want, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid of what's, what my brain's going to do on that. It's going to, you know, it's going to tell me like, all right, fuck all this cold weather, go do the tropical <laughs> thing full time. You know, you can start over. You're not too old, but it's like, no, 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 no. This is not the right. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, you never know what it's going to tell you. I guess I've had some yeah, strange exactly. revelations myself. You don't have cubensis out there with all them cows pooping. No, I don't think cubensis. Okay. Okay. I don't know. I, I do know that we have places in Oregon that people find them. But uh, not in around the, Southern Oregon. Okay, it's, it's up by Albany and and uh, Eugene mm. area. I again, I ha I need to go with someone. And the Mushroom Club wasn't a great place to find find people that eat psychedelic mushrooms. Surprisingly, it's just a bunch of weirdos that are into eating <laughs> mushrooms. But it was very it was like very taboo to talk about, which is kind of right. like disappointing. That was half the reason I went. Now, uh, not to uh, before we get off the Amanita, do, how you said you knew how to find them or pick the right one. Amanita, yeah. Oh yeah, it's the easiest one. Yep, yeah. red with white dots. There's also some overlap into Amanita, like Panthera, which is one you definitely don't want to eat um, right. on the yellows and the and the oranges. And, and the red one, even the red Amanitas up here can fade to orange sometimes. Um, and the white dots will wash off because it's part of the veil. And that's where people yeah. really fuck up with eating Amanitas is they pick them when they're really small and they have they've just barely come out of the ground and they're like a little white puffball looking thing and. Mm -hmm. Most of the Amanitas look like that when they come up, so you can very easily fuck up by 
by picking them right then and say, oh, let's say Amanita muscaria, when really it's like like death cap. You're like, oh, well, now you're dead. Um, so just waiting till they're big and red with their white dots, you're not going to go wrong. It's like the most universally recognized mushroom on Earth. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Mario, Mario knew that. <laughs> well, funny enough, uh, it's it's said that you have sensations of feeling big and small when you're um, on these mushrooms. And we talked about how... Uh, uh, he, you know, turns into Super Mario and grows big. Yeah, <laughs> little correlation there. It's interesting. Uh, oh yeah, dude. Is it's, it's like yeah, dude. I mean, did the guy, was he getting high on Amanitas? Come on, <laughs> baby. So, or uh, heard this story from a friend. It was like, ah, oh, it sounds like a good plot line. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, so on mushrooms. Now, is that something that obviously mushrooms are a huge thing for uh, like trees and, and bushes? I mean, these sure. these things running these mycorrhizal networks are are huge now uh obviously that's part of permaculture yeah so the way that we uh inter interface with that is yeah I, I don't know if you saw but i just bought an, a brand new tractor um partially as a tax write-off but also i needed a bigger tractor to run my wood chipper so i could stop renting chippers and i have a small tractor and the chipper worked okay on it but not on this big tractor it fucking rips ass and okay. that is because when we prune all of our trees um including our alder trees, which is a nitrogen fixing tree. We coppice those so that they grow bushes and they grow smaller sticks. And we, we jokingly call this stuff chipper food because we put all of this back into the wood chipper, build up big piles of chips and then do deep chip mulches around all of our, you know, fruit trees, nut trees. And then eventually if we have leftover, we start adding it into some of our overstory cedar and spruce trees. And then at the very last, we start putting it back onto the alder. So this is goes, hand in hand with our zero irrigation system. Um, but it also promotes, uh, fungal life, like you said, because the fungal, you know, the fungus has its exudates and the plant has its exudates and they have this symbiotic relationship where one can provide for the other, what it couldn't efficiently provide. And then they start connecting. So yeah, the mushroom is essential for soil health, especially in our tree-based systems. Now, in our grass-based systems, which are which still have fungal systems in them, they're much more bacterial dominant. So, like, and this is important when you're making compost tea. The compost tea that you spray on a forest is not the same that you would spray on a cannabis plant. Is not the same that you would spray on your your pasture. Um, pasture is bacterial dominant, um, very low fungal. Timber or trees, forests are fungal dominant, very little bacterial, and cannabis kind of falls right in the middle. And so does most other bushy plants. And then that's just based on the soil microorganisms that are native to that that plant or that type of plant or that system. You know, there's a there's a couple of guys here that we know that uh, they straight up just put water on it. It it can't it, it it's it's fine if you have if you have lower um, outputs as long as you had much lower inputs that's fine um that's that's kind of like permaculture 101 is we're, we're trying to maximize outputs while minimizing inputs and if if our total output is lower um than what our maximum output could be as long as my total input was lower then i got a lot more free time and, and people start uh worrying about so like let's look at hemp farming and permaculture yes you might make less money total on hemp 
But because you have the fruit trees, the nut trees, the pigs, the blah, 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 the whole system, the, the total system is going to be much more profitable and it's more resilient as well. And if, you know, through that resiliency, if shit hits the fan, like isolate prices crash, well, that's fine. We don't give a fuck about isolate prices because we're not selling isolate anymore. We're, we're selling pigs fattened on the seed or we're, we're selling the experience where people can come and see all of this. So, um, if you're in your living soil greenhouse, um, if part of that living soil greenhouse also incorporates, maybe you've got some potted fruit trees and you've got, uh, you know, your, your, the living soil crops that are coming out of it, maybe is yielding some mushrooms that, you know, harvestable mushrooms and, and also is, uh, some sort of harvestable plant that you've got growing in there with the, the cannabis. Well then, you know, you're, you're hitting that diversity ticket and it's okay that the cannabis is slightly less yielding. And, and most importantly, if you, if it leaves you more time to do the things that you enjoy, well, that's the whole fucking point of making money, right? Is to, right. That you, 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 time is more important than money always. Sure. Sure. And as that, you know, that curve, as far as uh, time can be worth a lot of money in and of itself, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you don't, you said you don't do any processing anymore though. So you're not really, um, you got the form and everything, but you're just not, as far as you, you're not doing any processing. Yeah, no, between I'll do, well, I and I haven't even done a consult in probably six months, like an on-site lab consult. Um, mm -hmm. No, the through the forum and the gang, I've I've built up myself up to this spot where when I get I, and I still get a shit ton of interest in it, I've now have a network of people that do exactly what I was doing for that are cheaper and better at it, right? So I just deflect all of my work out to other people and um, through the gang and through my previous life and its interaction with Bitcoin. Um, I'm at this point and this really helped me with my open source model is, uh, you know, my financially I, I'm, I'm very comfortable. So uh, I'm, I've now gotten to a place in life where I'm trying to build up as much other forms of capital as possible, including social capital. So by referring all of my friends out to these jobs and saying, no, you don't, you don't owe me anything for this. Go do it. Hope you make more money. Um, you know, the better your friends are doing, the more likely they are to buy dinner next time you hang out. So that's kind of like my, <laughs> my cord in the gang. We have a saying, we all level up together and that's, you know, yeah. I'm trying to help you be more successful so that next time we're hanging out, the bills on you. <laughs> well, man, if you're that much more successful from hanging out, then I wouldn't have a problem paying the bill. <laughs> exactly. You know, that's cool that you're like that. Uh, it's, we need more people like that in this, uh, arena. Um, I still find that you, you poor thing though, you get, you get some hate, uh, it's, <laughs> it can be a, a sensitive subjects for people, which is interesting because this is all positive information. I don't see how people like to make it negative. I found myself in a really odd position on one of your posts. Um, we we're talking about diamonds and, um, you had that big, big fat diamond. I'd never seen one that big, man. Yeah. That thing a monster. was huge. And I had made some comment about it and uh, received some backlash, which is interesting. What do you think about these concentrates? There's so many kinds. It just seems like a big fad to me. Like, okay, so two things here: the concentrates. We'll get. We'll we'll go back on this. But first, the hate. Um, that is a product of the internet, man. There's with. It's like, and I, I, I kind of have this with people that want to do an interview but don't want to do it in person or or don't want to do a video call. And it's like, you lose an aspect of communicating with people when, first of all, when you can't see them 
And then second yeah. of all, when you can't hear them and it's just typing. So there's no context. And that is just yeah. a slippery slope out into nowhere land where everybody hates everybody and, and, and the world's full of shit people. The internet brings out the, yeah. the best and the worst in people. So, uh, you know, there's a, I know exactly what conversation you're talking about. And I can think of at least one or two people that were in there that are actually really cool people. And, and you know, and I would tell the, those people the same thing about you yet your interaction with them and their interaction with you, uh, you know, from your experiences, those people are fucking idiots and they're, they're just douchebags and they probably, you know, they might think the same thing about you. And that is well, the sure. problem with the internet. It's, it's so easy to divide us through the internet and, and the forum and the gang has been, it's kind of like my mission now to use those two things to really bring people back together. And it's yeah. cannabis focused now, but anybody that's been to a gang event will tell you that I'm there. The, you know, what I tell people is I, I tricked you into here, uh, by saving money on hash and, and uh, now I'm going to teach you about permaculture and that's why you're going to stay. Um, because yeah, we, we really got to make strong mental efforts to not be douchebags on the internet. It's like crucial to our, our society. Uh, well, and I think people need to quit going straight to its negative. So my comment yes. in and of itself wasn't negative. It was just an opinion of the product, which my opinion r really doesn't mean shit. I mean, I'm just one guy of 6 billion people. Uh, so if people would quit taking things negative at first, like it was just yeah, a yeah. neutral comment. It was just a neutral comment. But the first thing people do is jump on the negative. Oh, it must've been, oh, what a dick, you know, it's for like, sure. Oh, to a positive and can I respond to it as such? And if a person decides to continue to be a dick, well then that's that, but well, that's you know, different. Yeah. At least yeah, yeah. step one is let's assume this is positive. <laughs> is there any way, any angle that I could conceive this to be a positive comment and maybe I'll respond to it in such. Um, well, and I've, we also don't, all of us don't know the other people were talking with. And it was only coming from a place where these different types of concentrates are, that's really all they are is just different kind of forms of it. But people will hate on this. People will hate on that. People like this. People don't like that, which gets back to, you know, what do you like? What do you prefer? And is, is there healthier concentrates? I mean, yeah. And you know, the only thing that we can say with any kind of certainty is that smoking cannabis flowers probably not going to kill you, right? We have a long history of humans smoking cannabis flour. And then sure. we, we can also probably say that like hashish is okay for you to smoke because again, long histories of people smoking hashish. Um, all this other stuff is relatively new and how safe it is for you. Just the concentration of liquid terpenes and smoking those, that is questionable at best. Like we know, you look at any of terpene isolates from any other plants and there's plenty of msds out there that's you know we know that inhalation of large amounts of those smokes will kill you for sure lots of rats have died to prove it um so when we start getting towards these concentrated uh terpenes well, there's definitely some questions that we need to ask now it doesn't mean that i'm not vaping them because it tastes great and if that's what kills yeah. me then that's what kills me i'm gonna still do it and you can look at the rock you could say the same thing about concentrated fats and lipids is that something that's safe to smoke very questionable and that you're going down that road with with some rosin now some of the best shit i've ever had is rosin that was you know either dry sift or from from water hash that they squished those heads and that shit was fire and i've had diamonds from that like people had a terpy enough uh rosin that they were then able to pressure and pressurize and, and grow some diamonds out of it. and i smoked those diamonds wow. in turp and you wouldn't know the difference between that and the propane extract um 
tastes the same. So um, there are benefits to isolated cannabinoids. Most of them, I would say, are beyond that. I don't even fucking know. I don't dab much distillate anymore, <laughs> although I did for a while. And it got me high as shit. Right. So yeah. mostly I think the most important thing to having safe stuff to smoke on is to know the person that made it like yeah. uh most of what i smoke is uh echo from southern or, or from uh ah, eugene yeah. yeah and this is you know this is benson collab so i've been to benson's yep. farm i went and saw it i met them so and, and i'm really good friends with regan and i know that he makes super high quality and that to me is more important than than the specifics of how like oh this was made with a hydrocarbon or this only had water in touch with it yeah that, both of them can be done safely it, it you know a good amount of the shit that people eat was extracted with hexane and and they're doing just fine and hexane's super toxic so you know there, yeah. there's good process and we can use these these different process safely it's just do you trust that the guy that made it did he do it safely Absolutely. And, you know, you picked, I think, two of the best. I, I got Noah from Benson coming in. Uh, but they have, I think they have some of the best sun grown. Uh, oh, absolutely. Their here. whole setup is so fucking cool. And their valley, the microclimate, yeah. they're in up in the hills out there yeah bro he slays absolutely it's all yeah. off grid yeah, he's, he's got a family up there mm, awesome i haven't seen sun grown come out of oregon like like their stuff i don't they've got it nailed yeah um, tko at one point they did real well but they backed off and went to cbd so that kind of leaves benson in that arena but echo too i've got echo coming in and they oh my gosh i love their concentrates um, yeah it kills it and they make different kinds yeah some uh, of the best down there or in, in Eugene, in Oregon. Yeah, really. and have you have you tried any Bose stuff? Bose nose? No. If you get a chance, try his stuff. Yeah, really good stuff. Uh, so you do smoke concentrates. So do you prefer flower more, or or but, you know, or do you just kind of mix it up? Yeah, I just kind of mix it up. Um, I've been smoking on a lot of my homegrown, but I also so we moved to this town called South Bend, Washington, and it was kind of my partner and I's retirement from the cannabis game. And then we bought our property in 2012, in the fall of 2012. By early 2013, cannabis had legalized in Washington, and the first 15 licenses in the state came to South Bend, Washington, because our port, which used to host um, like logging and fishing, all this crazy stuff, you know, 100 years ago, and they had all these buildings that nice buildings, but were empty. And they said, hey, cannabis farmers, processors, whatever, we will give you these leases for, you know, 10% of the value for the first year and then 20% the next year. So they really made it advantageous for cannabis license holders to come and set up shop here. So the first 15 licenses came here and my partner and I are like, we looked at each other and like, dude, this has got to be a fucking sign. We got to get in with one of these guys. Yeah. Like we, we know yeah. it's, a bunch of, it's a bunch of chads and we've been doing this for yeah. years and years. We know let's get, right. let's, let's help one of them build a company. So we, we ended up helping build green labs. My partner is the sales director. there still, I left. Um, but because of that, because of our proximity to all this, it's now, you know, over the years, it's all the losers have kind of failed out and the, the best ones have stuck around. And some of the best indoor cultivators in Washington are right here and I've become friends with them. So I get access to a lot of really high end indoor flower and it's just fucking it's next level. Like the, the weed right now is just <laughs> next level. It's like you're just basically growing crystals in there. There's not even any fucking plant material. Plant left. material. It's just, it's just frost. <laughs> 
That's really good. So it, Washington does bring the fire then. I don't think I've ever had anything out of Washington. Really, um, really. Must be all indoor too. Stuff. Yeah, it's all indoor. You know, there's outdoor weed up here. You don't want any of it. It's not good. We're way yeah. too far north. It, you know, the east side's got the right climate, but we're too far north. So the light cycles are all fucked. You know, you can't beat Southern Oregon. High altitude Southern Oregon cannabis is best in the world, period. Rivals indoor. I don't care how frosty your indoor is. <laughs> The, the full sun, the full spectrum, the terpene profile that you're going to get from some Southern Oregon sun grown is, is top in my opinion. Well, I'm going to quote you on that now. <laughs> if you look, if you look through, like I got a book, it's called the solar greenhouse. And it's all about building passive greenhouses and it talks about solar radiation and it lists like 10 large cities around the world. And on the very top with the most solar radiation in the world is Medford, Oregon. It's like, it's Oh my like God. And then Paris, New York, all these other cities. And it's just trying to give you a record really? where it is, but Medford is like known. Yeah. So like solar power in Medford is just next level. And, and that's, that was measured in Medford proper. If you go up in the Hills, like where Benson is and you start getting, you know, thinner atmosphere, closer to the sun, whatever, uh, it starts getting intense. Cause it, you know, you go yeah. the summertime in Southern Oregon is if you haven't been, and it's a high desert, it's one of the only real true high deserts in the United States. So it's just this perfect microclimate down there for growing the best cannabis on earth. Uh, interesting. You say that I, I've kind of felt that way my whole life, but I talked to, uh, you know, grow science, the yeah, nutrients. Yeah, yeah. And so we use their organic line the whole time and they had good success with it. But they were talking, I had an interview with them where they were talking about that cannabis has a terroir too. Sure. Uh, or an appellation, however you say it. Um, and that contributes, I think to down here. Um, I don't know how much, but, um, have you seen terroir differences in cannabis? Um, yeah, absolutely. Like I said, Outdoor weed from Washington usually sucks. <laughs> okay, so it's plain and simple. It's just crap. Yeah, crap terroir. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I've had I've had good weed from other places. I just think that of all the different weed that I've smoked from all over, yeah. that the best is grown in Southern Oregon. Granted, I haven't been to the like the Hindu fucking valley of right. Afghanistan. Smoke the weed that's sure. growing out there. I'm sure it's pretty damn good too. It's amazing. The, the, the cannabis there is so much different. They like cannabis grows like corn here. I mean, it's just everywhere. It's yeah. on the side of the street. It's yeah. in people's yeah. gardens. I mean, people grow it as a crop. So if you have a, a home, a little home and a garden, you probably have cannabis sure. next to your fruit trees and shit. Probably just amazing how... Well, that's the thing is it's just, it's amazing the difference. We say that we're legal here and it wrecks all good and everything, but it's still not like it is over there where it's just so ingrained in the society. Yeah, but wreck's not good, bro. I mean, you could, <laughs> legal, what's that? Legal and wreck, that's not good. That's bad. Right, right, yeah. right, right. I, I understand. I just mean that we think that we're free of the, sure, sure, sure. Know, rules or laws now. And really, if you look at these other places in the world, shit, they're real, really free. Yeah. Um, but they, you know, they just go around and there's so many plants. You can just sit there and do that Shara's thing or whatever they call it, where mm -hmm. they rub it in their hands and, and hash, yeah, hash, come out with plugs all day. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. So, um, I'd like to try, I think some, some seeds from there sometime. Definitely. Try to come up with my own land race. Yeah. And <laughs> going, that's, but. we've been working a little bit on a project. I need to, I need to focus down on it, but, um, that's kind of one of my goals out here is to breed 
just through self-seeding potential of you know planting out lots of seeds, letting letting them go to seed, and then letting it fall to the ground and seeing what comes back. And eventually, I think if you do that enough, uh, you could get a, a varietal that's going to self-seed in probably most climates. Um, I know mine for sure. And then let yeah. it go, and then it becomes like the the, the Himalayan blackberries. Like <laughs> they're invasive as shit, and you're never going to stop them. I want weed to be like that. <laughs> I think in some places it is, man. Yes, that's a good thing. Uh, okay. It is. It really is. It goes to show you that it can be. Well, let's talk about this now. Let's finish up with this. Now, you got all kinds of things coming up in the future. I know one of them is a podcast. Yeah. Right? Are you, is, is that kind of solidified? Are you going to be doing that still? Yeah, I definitely. know a lot of your followers really want to have this. Uh, like, I know. Do I've it, been... do it, do it. Yep. I, I have a really interesting and unique network to pull from. So I think I'm just going to run through all of my affiliate businesses first. And I'm just going to interview the owner of each of the affiliate businesses. I got a lot of them that I was there when they, when they started the business or before they started the business and we're, we're really close friends. That's, that's kind of, that was crucial to even forming the good life gang is that I went to the, you know, like a core group of five of these companies that I was there from the start. And I said, Hey, look, would you join my gang and offer discounts to my members? And they're like, you're a crazy motherfucker, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, those people I think I could interview and then that'll be, um, a kind of, I, I, I kind of, I didn't want to do one cause I didn't want to just be another podcast, another cannabis podcast. I wanted to have some kind of unique angle. So now that that excuse, no, no offense. And I really like, I really, the more uh -huh. of them that I do, the more I like it, you know what I mean? And, and you, you each have your own group of people that follow. So it's, it's, it's I, I, I don't know. No offense to you. I didn't want to be, I, I don't know. And I'm still on that. No, no. You know, it's a, it's like a personal thing. It's like I don't want to yeah. just be a voice that is out there pumping out. You know, I don't. yeah. You've already done so much that's been very successful. But I think that it's something a platform that would really work for you. Um, yeah, I agree. A lot um, of a lot of people follow you and re, you know respect your information. So I don't think you'd just be another podcast. <laughs> yeah, and, and then it for me it's if I if I still have those doubts, and then that means I'm not fully passionate about it. If I'm not fully passionate about it, not only do I have enough time, but I also feel like then I won't put as much effort into it as like when I start something, I I'm like 115% into it and we're going full, full out enough. Like you haven't given enough thought to it, but in the last like three or four years, any, any kind of fucking harebrained idea I've come up with, he's like, all right, what are we going to do? How are we going to knock this down? How are we going to do it? it? These things that I, <laughs> I, these harebrained ideas I come up with end up being extremely lucrative or successful or, or working out for us. So now he's pushing me. So yeah, the podcast is going to happen between him pushing and everybody else pushing. I think I should do it. I had my first one scheduled with gray wolf, but, um, some things came up. So we just had a little friend to friend meeting instead of a podcast, but that's going to still happen. So he said that the first podcast he does will be with me. So that'll be fun. Um, and then I got the whole that's list great. of affiliates and then, but, but see the next I'm stressing because I'm like, okay, well I only got like 45 affiliates and that's a decent amount, but then what am I going to do next? How am I going to have an edge past that? So, well, I mean, your work never stops Yeah, yeah neither do your connections, but, uh, nonetheless, I hope, it, you know, I hope it happens. Um, I think you'd add a lot to the community. Um, you know, with what you said about another cannabis podcast, there's a lot of cannabis podcasts out there and a lot of good ones actually. Um, and I think that when we came into it, it was the fact that we were proud of Oregon cannabis. Yeah. Um, and the culture that we had here, people like we talked about with mushrooms, the people that do cannabis, I've seen kind of have a relationship 
most of the time with some sort of psychedelics. Sure. Um, and I don't know if that's a psychoactive thing, but we've kind of went into that direction, the psychoactive culture. I've often wondered though now recently that uh, if psychoactive isn't uh, have a relationship with medicine. So what I mean by that is uh, we're starting to see that these psychoactive substances that get you high also are medicines. Yeah, sure. And for, for, for a long time, religion and stuff will say being high is, is bad. It's a sin or it's wrong or it's bad or you're, you're druggy or it's being high is somehow bad. And I've never understood that. I can see uh, for some people being high can be bad. And I can see that certain people don't need certain substances. You know, for me, I can't, I can't do alcohol but I can do cannabis and it helps me, uh, but it is psychoactive. It gets you high. So I'm wondering if these psychoactive substances aren't really medicinal and actually being high is part of that medicine. Yeah, I think, I think so. And, um, it also is, it's not the placebo, but it's the power of the brain, right? The, the brain can, can make you healthy. If you believe what you're doing can make you healthy. Um, and especially if that psychoactive substance is causing neurogenesis, like in the case of mushrooms, where you're literally making new neural pathways in your brain and cannabis has some sort of similar, not, well, I, I, you know, I, I'm not going to talk on that. I'm not a doctor. I don't know, but I, I get the same kind of effects from cannabis. The more cannabis I do, the higher functioning my brain seems to be, the better my ideas seem to get, the nicer I am, the more empathetic I am to other people, then our relationship gets stronger and the ideas we come up with together get better. So yeah, I, I agree. Um, and I, and the reason that it was, uh, that it's been villainized so long is because when we do these things, we become independent or, or, you know, we become stronger as a society. And these are things that religion and government doesn't want because we're harder to control when we are united and when we're talking to each other and we're nicer to each other. Government and religion wants us fighting against each other so that they can get our money and so that which is basically our time and therefore our freedom. So, of course, they don't like psychedelic drugs. You do enough mushrooms and you start really questioning all those things. Yeah, and I even think cannabis to a certain extent. Of course, extent, yeah. You question. But of course, but of course, mushrooms, yeah, it really brings out some revelations. Mm -hmm. But no, you're right. Even cannabis, <laughs> even at the simplest, um, you smoke some, you don't feel like you need to go rape and murder anybody. And then you, then you start questioning, well, why was the government lying to me this whole time? Well, and interesting enough, if you look back in history, the human history, um, I think mushrooms and psychedelics were a bigger part of our history than it is you know, than our modern society, which oh, is kind of scary 100%. in a sense. Religion is, you know, I mean, is mushrooms for sure. Now the literature is saying, yeah, yeah. All Christianity is derivative of a pagan cult that believed that mushrooms were the sign of fertility from fucking the sun God, right. the rain God, whatever. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, but now, now psychedelics and drugs are villainized in modern religion. Yeah, sure. Because you do a bunch Oddly of drugs enough. and then you don't go to work and then you can't pay the church on Sunday. <laughs> How are they going to get their money if you don't go to work? That makes sense. That's taxes that makes too. Sense. You don't make any money, then they can't get taxes. How are you going to get, like, you can't be high on mushrooms all the time, eating food from the woods. Are you kidding? Yeah. I imagine your biggest hater is probably the government. I, yeah. I mean, I pay them and a, a few shit ton. And a few. Yeah. I pay them a shit ton of taxes, but. I'm, oh, I, do you? Okay. Oh, yeah. I pay, I pay all my taxes, man. We're, we're, we're on the street. Oh, I'm sure you do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah oh, I'm you know, sure. I'm not right. a shit. I just we, meant we've that. done a lot to, to mitigate that, but that's all part of the system that they want you to play. Yeah. Right. Uh, no, sure. I, I'm sure I'm on a couple lists though. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. 
Yeah. yeah. What's it like having 30,000 followers plus a huge forum? What is that? 10,000 plus on the forum? There's like this. Yeah. We got 10,000 members and like one over one and a half million unique hits a month. Um, Jesus. And uh, it's, it's, it's none of it's manageable, but it's okay. If they're compartmentalized, like people on Instagram, DMing me on Instagram, uh, I can generally keep up a conversation with you. Cause it, you know, it can, we can span a couple weeks and then you hit me up again and I can see what we talked about and that's fine. I got, I can kind of associate your name and that little picture that you have <laughs> now yeah. the forum adds like a layer to that. So now I've got the same person trying to communicate to me both places. And if it's the same name uh, and picture, it's okay. A lot of times it's not, it's a new name, different yeah. pictures. So now it's getting confusing. Add in the third layer, which is now I'm meeting all these strangers on the internet in real life. And they've got a face, like an actual face and a name that's not yeah. those things. And it's not attached. And I can't, now it's getting fucking crazy. Now, you know, you're only yeah. supposed to be able to remember like there's a, a law, right? Like eight, 180 people or something. That was like the average yeah, size. Yeah, around 100 of, some. Some like yeah. that. Now I'm, I'm trying to juggle like probably 5,000 people that I've met in real life, maybe more. But I'd say that's the good average of these people that there's no way I'm remembering anybody's name ever. I can barely remember your Instagram. So now when we have meetups, I make people write their Instagram handle on underneath their name too. I really should get Interesting. like printouts because it's that little, I can, I can identify people with that little circle that is on Instagram that you a little visual thing, unless you changed it and then you, then you're screwed. Um, so it's, it's basically fucking impossible. That's how having 30,000 people is. And if you don't communicate it with them fast enough, and I, I built up a lot of that following being known as the guy that you could hit up and would talk to you. I'm not just, you know, a lot of these, once people yeah. get over like 20,000, you're not going to ever get a hold of them. They're going to talk to you. They don't, no. they don't spend their, but that's, that's because most of them are working a real job or have shit to do. Um, I have a lot of free time. And a lot of my success comes from interacting my engagement. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how to like compare it to other people's, but my engagement on my social media and on the internet is fucking off the chart. I spent a lot of time, you know, talking to people on there and, it, and it's paid out directly. I built lots of relationships. A lot of people, that's why the gang has over a thousand members. And to me, that's a lot better than working some nine to five. Oh, for sure. I mean, I totally jealous on that part. Um, but I've never, you know, I've never been for big nine to fives. I'm like you, I went to college and got some debt and that's about it. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I'm knowledgeable in a subject, but, um, still not interested in doing the nine to five with it. <laughs> uh, no, that's a waste of life. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Well, I've taken a lot of your time. How do people, um, interact with you? They have fortune 4,200, the website. You want to explain that there's a membership. Uh, there, correct? Uh, so on future4200.com is the forum. It's free. Uh, you, you don't even have to log in if you don't want to interact. You can just go there and browse um, if you do want to. Okay. If you do want to interact, you need to get on, be active with a log on, then you'll get permissions like being able to DM people and you can hit me up there. You're not going to have good luck getting a hold of me there. I'm, I'm kind of spotty on my DMs on that site. Um, if you yeah. go to Instagram, I'm a little better. If we're not already friends, you're going to go into that little... 99 plus sections. Yeah. yeah. And I might get to you. Uh, no guarantees. <laughs> I got an email. I'm pretty good about getting a hold of through that. You can, f if you, if you're smart, you'll be able to figure that out through the first two. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm a relatively easy guy to get a hold of. And then the 
gang, the goodlifegang.tech. That's a separate website. That's a separate entity than Future 4200. Um, you can check that out. It's got all the information. We got a bunch of free resources on the front end of there, including a bunch of permaculture uh, information, a breakdown of what it is, what I think it is, a bunch of my favorite videos, etc. Um, and then you can look at all the details of the gang, all the benefits that you get from joining and how it'll save you money. So the, between those three sites, you should be able to figure out how to get a hold of me. I see. So the membership part is over on the uh, good gang, good, good life gang. Yep. And, uh, and is completely gotcha. separate from the forum. Good life gang members do have their separate little, like a private sub forum on the, the future 4200, but you, you don't have to pay for the gang. You don't have to be a member of the gang to use the forum. It's free and open. What's the biggest advantage of the membership? Um, well, so it's, it's kind of shifting in dynamics as more people join and come to our meetups. But initially, uh, the it's a discount membership club. So by joining, I can save you tens of thousands of dollars if you're setting up a processing facility through equipment, oh, I see. through savings on equipment. Um, but we also have all the top level solvent distributors uh, as well as media distributors. So if you're doing any kind of extraction and you've got consumables in your lab, um, I can save you money as well. And then, but we're more and more people are signing up and why people keep renewing is because we host regional meetups. So all over the country and we're, we're starting to go global with it. We've got, I got Canada in a couple weeks up in Vancouver and then I, we're going to be in span of this. Um, we're going to be in Spain for span of this in uh, a couple months. Uh, but then you can come to those meetups. They're free depending on your membership. Um, and you can meet all the people in that local area that are basically doing the same thing as you, which has been extremely valuable. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, I've noticed uh, some of the locations you're talking about too, and there's some good locations you guys go to, man. Yeah, we're having, we're having a good some time. fun out there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we uh, the affiliates, the the companies that offer discounts to gang members. Uh, get the opportunity to sponsor these meetups. So they pay and we run these little packages and then they can set up and it kind of is turning into a little mini trade show thing. They, they have been very helpful in covering the cost. It's, it's really cheap marketing for them to be set up at a good life gang event. So that's enabled us to do some really cool spots. So what's, uh, what's for the future? No. Yeah. Um, so I've got two main projects coming up this year. One of them is, just cannabis waste in general. So we've got a couple different ideas going down that line from biopulping to cellulistic ethanol production, um, some hemp-based uh, like polymer stuff. So building plastics out of hemp uh, or like reinforced plastics. We got an epoxy that we're working on from hemp seed oil. That's my cannabis projects for this year. And then permaculture we are starting uh it's called permacoin it's a per permaculture development uh company with a blockchain based uh kind of like uh, backbone and so you can buy coin and you can hold those coins to catch dividends off the profit of this permaculture company or you can hold them and sell them for fair market value or you can use them as currency within our system and the idea is that we are either buying or long-term in tourist locations where we're going to build uh, lodging and event space at the very beginning. And then we're going to develop the property into long-term permaculture, you know, abundant permaculture systems. Uh, and the idea being that you can rent out 
a room and experience the permaculture from ground up. You know, you can get in and see how it's being developed, where we're at. You know, eventually you'll be able to go to a mature permaculture setup. Um, and then the food and all the ecosystem around it will be incorporated. So the catch line, uh, bring the table back to the farm. Uh, so if you hold coin, you can go and you know get discounts on dinner, or discounts on the rooms, or if you have enough of them, you can train them in to stay at the place for free. Um, and that's how we're going to we're going to use that for a bunch of our initial funding. So we'll sell a bunch of these coins out. Um, that's by, we have our initial investors on board and we're kind of working through some of the logistics stuff on this end. So most likely by January 1st, 2021, we will be dropping the coin sales and going full bore. Um, we're going to set up our initial property in Puerto Rico because it's dope there and you don't pay federal income taxes <laughs> in Puerto Rico. So, oh. It's a, it's a really nice place, yeah. So that'll be kind of our first foray. We've already got some property lined up, a, a guy that's looking to buy land for us, to lease to us for this idea. So that's that's going to be a lot of my time. And, and the whole point of this one is that I wanted to spend six months out of the year in Puerto Rico when it's really shitty up here. You know, like right now, I'd rather be in Puerto yeah. Rico now than Washington. Uh, and so I we went on a month-long vacation this year, my wife and or my, my partner and my, my kid and I, and we're scouting land. And I had kind of been bouncing this idea around in the back of my head, but it really came to fruition while I was there. I realized I don't want to tie up a bunch of my personal capital into land out here. We should just, if there was a business that could run that I had enough, you know, equity in that I could just stay at this place for six months a year and it's profitable for all the locals that are involved in it, then that's all, that's way better. Then I can, then when I leave this thing in the summertime, it's still doing its thing and it's not, you know, yeah. at risk of getting vandalized because there's all these locals that are, you know, have their own things here. And that, that's a core part of the model is that, we're not going to have employees. We're going to empower locals to run their own businesses on the farm. So I'm going to, I'm going to subcontract a landscaper to do all of the, the planting and the maintaining of the plants. I'm going to empower someone to run a pig business there. I'm going to, you know, help someone start a food cart business. I'm going to help someone start a hotel business, all, all this stuff, local based so that it's their thing that I just can benefit off of. And now have you lived in or stayed in Puerto Rico for any amount of time? Well, so we did two weeks to know. <laughs> a couple of years ago and then I did a month in this fall. Oh, wow. Yes. And that uh, I'm, I'm for sure. That's where I want to go. It's especially in the spot. We're looking at Rincon, which is over on the West coast of Puerto Rico. It's about two hours away from maybe a little bit more from the, from the capital San Juan, anything you've seen on the news that you might make you think that, uh, Puerto Rico is not the place you want to be was looking at San Juan for sure. Uh, except for right after the hurricanes. And then they were looking at all the, when you've got a little village basically up in the middle of the mountains, it's like two hours from anything and there's a hurricane and it washes out a bunch of the mountain roads. Yeah. You're going to be screwed for a while. It's they're broke as shit. What was fine was all of the tourist spots, you know, immediate. I think Recon had the power was up for like two weeks. And again, remember permaculture is part of this preparedness for if times get tough or even if they don't. So if there's a hurricane and shit hits the fan, that's a perfect place for permaculture. It's actually kind of one of our targets. All of our buildings will be specifically, you know, environmentally friendly, hurricane resistant housing. We're looking at kind of like buckyballs maybe right now, maybe some earth ships, all of these buckyballs probably because they can be built for really cheap using local resources so that other people there could also build hurricane proof housing. And this can become a demonstration site. 
Um, so it kind of all ties in. It's great that they have ecological disasters there because then it gives us a chance to, to prove how to be resilient to those. Absolutely. Well, that's a place that needs yeah. it. I mean, they need to, to have that support. Um, what does your family think about that? Oh, that, yeah. My local family, step. like my, my immediately nuclear family, my kid, my kid's a year and a half, so he's pretty much happy yeah. with whatever we're yeah. doing. And uh, <laughs> my partner fucking hates it here where we live in Washington. It's cold all the time. It's 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 okay in the uh, summer. It's not yeah. high. It's like I swim in the river, but she doesn't. She's like, no, it's still cold. So she loves she she anywhere tropical she's gonna be yeah. happy in it as far as taxes and citizenship and and the a, a comfortable first step into a business that's not like run out of my office uh puerto rico is is very comfortable for me and she loves it so we're good to go that's good man that's good i uh i can see <laughs> uh, yeah it's pretty rough right now it's... back in washington <laughs> yeah exactly but again in the winter time well, you got the property like, stuff, but... there's not a whole lot going on here because it's, it's fruit free nut tree based right now we're just pulsing yeah. animals through the growing season up there so in the winter it's just you know i'm up there working on some projects here and there that one of our key steps to taking that six months off and being away is first we have the cows that still need management, but my brother lives out here. So we've been slowly empowering him to take more and more responsibility by sharing more and more of the beef that comes out of the cows. And he's, he's doing really well with it. Um, and then we need to get the farm on the hill to a point where it's generating income so that we can either employee or subcontract someone to run a business out of there so that it's got someone going up there every day. And that's really just a big thing. I just don't want some tweakers up there stealing my shit. We're lucky up here. It's the population of Southwest Washington is fucking nothing. The timber companies own the vast majority of the land, like 98% of the land or something insane. And so like the town South Bend, where we at, we're at, it's at 1500 people now. Actually, it's crazy. When we moved here, it was under a thousand. Uh, and Raymond is about 3000 people. And then we are, we're like a good 45 minutes away from any other town bigger than like 200 people like Olympia is, is far or Aberdeen even or Astoria. We're kind of out in the middle of nowhere out here. So it's really limits. There's very few crackheads compared or, 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 you know, people that have enough time to just be out around with your stuff. So like, I've actually never had a problem up here with someone stealing stuff. It's, it's just too right. small of a, an area, too small of a community to, to effectively steal something and not get found. Plus, unlike Southern Oregon, our, you know, we have like, I think the local police is in South Bend. There's like 10 or 11 of them. And then South Bend is the county seat. So the sheriff's office is here. And then the 101 goes through South Bend. So we get the state patrol as well. So the amount of police to people ratio is unheard of here. It's crazy. And it's dope because it's so small. These I'm actually really good friends with at least, you know, several of the local police officers slash sheriffs and all of them know who I am. I live, I rent a house down here right on the one-on-one. So they know my cars. I wave at them every day. It's, it's actually awesome. Like having a relationship with like a community police force is great. Now police in LA fucking avoid them like yeah. the plague, right? Like they don't care about you. So, but, and what's weird is in Southern Oregon, it's, the population density is still pretty low, like especially once you get outside of Medford or, or White City or Grants Pass and you start getting up into like Applegate and all those things. But the amount of police right. is like fucking right. none. Right. Like the sheriff department completely defunded, at least in it's in uh, yeah. what, Jackson County or is it Josephine County is the one where they a couple years ago. They're like, we have no money. We, yeah, we have no money. There's no sheriffs. We, don't, we can we can afford 
for one guy on the phone and one guy in a car and that's about it. And the other guy needs to be a home sleeping so that when they cycle out, right. shit got pretty scarce for a while. Well, not only that, but we have some smaller cities in between uh, Medford mm-hmm. and uh, Grants Pass, like Gold Hill, Rogue River. Those places yeah. don't have police either. None. So it's yeah. all up to one sheriff to you know yeah. monitor those little cities, which is it's can be scary for sure. But Yeah, that's why everyone down in Southern Oregon is armed. <laughs> probably probably yeah um yeah, i our whole our whole game was uh i stumbled into meeting these guys that were down in gold hill well they're out outside of gold hill over on the other side of table rock uh, sam's valley okay and man that the, the main grower there this redneck that had grown up there his entire life and his dad and his dad's dad all grew weed out there for as long as they could remember and he grew the best fucking weed i've ever seen um <laughs> uh, we ended up getting, you know, we, we did really well for each other and he, he decided to take his money and do the wrong thing with it and put it, most of it up his nose and ended up getting kicked off the property. And so, we, you know, the, the quality went a little bit downhill from there. Those guys are still rocking that whole fucking thing, man, with the, the 99 plant count and then and all the medical stuff yeah. and then getting grandfathered in and they're, and they're not being any cops anywhere. Oh, what a magical place. Uh, it, <laughs> In that aspect, it is, you know, I are the police, as long as your neighbors don't have problems with you and you don't cause problems in the community, they pretty much leave you alone. And Southern Oregon, I'll tell you what, though, it's like you there. I mean, there is so much cannabis and so much stuff that you just, everybody has their own. So, I mean, if you don't got none, there's no worries, (laughs) but yeah. Well, yeah, I re- we got cannabis for the last five years straight. What do you mean? Like, yeah. There's no end to cannabis. <laughs> yeah. Well, you saw that we had that problem too, that backlog of like seven years of cannabis. We. Oh, yeah. That's just illegal. Like in 2000, I want to say like 2011, 2012, when I was first get like down in Southern Oregon and uh, I'd first gone to the grower because I've been working with them for a while, but we had kind of met in Portland and then they finally invited me down and we kind of were at the farm and I started looking through some of the stuff that they had and they were like plant material nugs from like years past. I was like, what the fuck are you guys doing with all this? They're like, well, we couldn't sell it then and now we're stuck on it. It's all, so we just been mulching it and they were mulching like hundreds or thousands of pounds of flour. And I was like, dude, there's gotta be cannabinoids still in there. We should figure out a way to get this. And that was kind of our evolution into ethanol extraction and then oh. distillation. And that was my whole intro into cannabis science was, well, I bet we can figure out a way to do something with this <laughs> kind of funny well it is funny and I, this this well the chemistry has been around for a long time but being applied to sure. cannabis was a different story yeah most of the revelations we've had like pesticide remediation was just i branched i looked into other industry for answers like so the pesticide remediation was the combination of a couple smart mentors above me uh, a nice equipment provider uh carbon chemistry. They said, we can get whatever media you need. And then we just joined the American oil chemist society and the owner of lab society, the owner of carbon chemistry. And I went to the American oil chemist society conference, uh, like that year before and went and talked to some of the high level PhDs that were giving presentations and said, look, we're from the cannabis industry. We're trying to figure out this problem. And you guys have already, you know, figured it out for, you know, the American oil chemist society is for edible oils, like coconut oil, okay. uh, oil, whatever, and it's processing and, and refining those oils. So, and he's like, well, yeah, have you bought like the intro AOCS book? 
was like, no. And he handed me a copy. He's like, look at this. It's got all the answers you want. And sure, shit, it was all in there, super high level. And that really <laughs> transitioning that industry over into cannabis really changed the game for a lot of our processing. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. So it's already all there. Yeah, that's good. That's good. All right. Well, I really appreciate this, man. I really do. I know how much your time is worth. And I appreciate you sitting down, man. It really means a yeah, lot no to problem. me for uh, just another cannabis podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, we appreciate it, brother. Is there anything else? You just recap. It was, uh, I'm smoking on Echo with a collab with Benson. That's about as good as it gets. In all. I know, right. Did you did you hear about the, how it used to be Benson Elvis, right? Yeah, the last time I was there was Benson Elvis. I have a bunch of cool hats that all say Benson Elvis. I yeah. was going to say, save so those, man. Those are collector's items. Thank you.